The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that can eat 730 pounds of crawfish in a three-month window. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. He doesn't like seafood, so I'm eating all that stuff myself. I was going to say, that is a a case of you are speaking for one half of this podcast in a very real way here. We are going to get to hundreds of pounds of crawfish and Aranola, who will be staying in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for the foreseeable future. He is the first free agent to sign for uh, Mucho U.S. dollars. We're going to talk uh, in the first half of the show about Mr. Nola returning to Philly. Yes, we are. We're going to talk about the non-tenders who was not quite tender enough for their teams to be tendered to contract on Friday. A couple interesting names there. We did have some more trades semi-related to that. Uh, and also related to Nola, what is what is up with the Atlanta Braves, what is going on in Atlanta, as Mr. Brian Windhurst would say? Uh, and Zach Britton retired this morning, Jake. And Zach Britton is a, a very real person in, in your <laughs> very relevant person in your baseball fandom. So we'll be sure to get to all of that. Uh, we also have a, a fun email at the back half uh, from somebody updating something we did earlier this season. So lots to get to on this Monday. But, Jake, let's begin with Aaron Nola. Um, how about you, you set the stage here. I know he's going to be reintroduced as a Philly. I always think that's goofy when they do the second press conference, but it makes sense. They will confirm their commitment to each other for another seven years, seven years, $172 million. Aaron Nola is a Philly. When you saw this news over the weekend, what were your first thoughts? Renewing of the vows Mm. is what this type of press conference is, right? It's, we know you, we love you, and we still love you. And here's a big chunk of money to prove it. My first thoughts with the NOLA deal, um, Dave Dombrowski, when he says something is a priority mm. in public, it is usually a priority in private. He does not do a lot of uh, smoke and mirrors, right? Yes. If he says it, it's the truth a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And NOLA... So, the Phillies entered the offseason needing another pitcher. And of all of the options on the market, even if you remove Nola's past in Philly, which you can't, but even if you do that, he's the one who fits their rotation the best, right? And so he made the most sense for their roster. And then when you add to that the durability and the history in Philly, it's kind of a no-brainer. I think to, to me the most compelling part now that we know 
and that he reportedly left money on the table from other teams to stay in Philly. I am fascinated by the crawfish-eaten Louisiana kid like making enough of a home in Philadelphia that he is going to leave cash aside, if that makes sense. Like, he is a quiet dude, Mm -hmm. reserved, Southern, and he wants to play in the loud Northern market. And I think if you had met Aaron Nola when he debuted in 2015 with the Phillies, you would be shocked by the idea that he wants to play here, here. I don't know why I'm saying here. I'm not in Philadelphia. (laughs) Why he wants to play in Philly over other markets. I think that would be surprising. But he really does feel home there. He has roots there. And I, it's not as if he, you know, took a discount. Seven yeah. years, $172 million for a pitcher is a big chunk of change and a big commitment. So I, I, it was kind of a no-brainer for both sides. Yeah. He's, I think he's uh, just like you... the last thing. He's, he's clearly comfortable there. Oh, yeah. Right? And players value comfort. Mm-hmm. I think quickly on Dombrowski, I think, I think it's a great point that, yeah, he's not usually just saying words to say words, but also because he is who he is and because the Phillies have ownership that they do, he can kind of state that with real confidence and back it up in ways that some other front offices like to say things or float things, and then that can be held against them because they don't actually follow through, whereas the Phillies were not lying. And I think from Nola's side, I think what you just described is interesting when you consider, you know, how he kind of came up and where he's from and whatever. At the same time, it was also a great reminder of in free agency, there's always a handful of guys where it's like, no, 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 like I just, this is kind of where I want to be. And even if I'm going to, whether it requires an extra year, you know, in this case, we learned that he's maybe taking a little bit less on total money. But I think that the seventh year here is a very relevant point. This is just you do not see a lot of pitcher contracts go that far. Uh, but I think we've seen it recently where it's like, listen, I want to be with this team. You want me to be here. Let's just tack on the extra year and it's game over. We saw it with Aaron Judge, obviously. I believe we saw a very similar dynamic with Brandon Nimmo. Like sometimes as much as we want to hype up free agency to say that, oh, of course, he fits so much better. This other team's going to blow him away and he would be an even bigger deal if he goes to the Cardinals or if he goes to this team and this team. But ultimately, like when we're talking about this much money and we don't know how much he left on the table, maybe it was five million, maybe it was 10 million, whatever. The point is he wanted to be in Philly. The Phillies wanted him to be there and they made it work. And none of that uh, is especially surprising. And as, as Matt Gelb kind of wrote at The Athletic here, like he really does now have the chance to be. A, an all-time great, you know, with this team, and and a lot of that is 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 his ability to to be there and to pile up so many innings and so many starts and so many strikeouts and so many games and appearances and wins and all those things. But that's part of the appeal. That's part of why they love Darren Nola in the first place. So that would be fitting if he can kind of climb those those franchise leaderboards. Yeah, I mean, he's already top ten in a ton of categories, strikeouts. I believe uh, innings, no, because even though he is like a durable horse in this era, the Phillies started playing in 1801 <laughs> or whatever the fuck. And so like, you know, the guys then were just throwing 15 innings a start or whatever. So he's got to climb that board. But yeah, he is second all time in game started at the new stadium behind Cole Hamels. If he finishes out this deal, he will be, if not the most dominant Phillies pitcher ever, the 
Phillies pitcher who spent the most time on the Phillies. He will be an amazing example of franchise legend, non-Hall of Famer mm-hmm. in the Adam Wainwright mold. Yeah. And, and you know, there is that is not a bad thing. Like that sure. is a that is a big deal. And, you know, maybe there's a five to ten percent chance that Aaron Nola can f- recapture some level of consistency. Like we've seen him put up these ridiculous seasons where it all kind of falls into place and the run prevention is combined with the bulk. And he, you know, finishes in top five side. Like we've seen him do that before. It just hasn't been consistent enough in the style of pitching. We don't necessarily expect, you know, that level of dominance. Um, but yeah, <laughs> to your point about the career innings, you know, Robin Roberts is up there at, at thirty-seven hundred innings, and Nola is at. I'm not trying to see where he's at for his career. Uh, I think he's at like, like he, he's not even top ten something. yet, so he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah, he's got quite a bit. And then yeah. just switching back to your point about guys in free agency who want to stay. If you live somewhere and you like living somewhere and your spouse likes living somewhere and your kids like living somewhere, it's going to take a lot more money to get you to move. Mm-hmm. Moving sucks, dude, yeah. as an activity. <laughs> and, you know, if you've lived in a place for a decade and you like it, then it's going to take a lot <laughs> to get you to leave. And baseball players are not like the rest of us. They make more money. They have a weird job, all that stuff. But it is important to remember that there is a human dynamic at play here. Yeah. He is comfortable and- at his workplace. He likes the people he's around. He likes the city he lives in. He likes the crowd. He likes the team. Likes it all. Sure. 7172. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. And, and that's part of what an agent is for, right? It's like. They know what he wants, and it's part of them to go to the Braves, and we're going to get to them in a second, go to the Cardinals or other teams that I'm sure were involved, and say, hey, like, Aaron Nola is a free agent. You should offer him a lot of money because he's really good. That's part of it. But also, it's not a coincidence that, you know, there's a version of all this that happens in February, and we say, oh, okay, he ended up going back to Philly. But no, it was very clear, if you're the first person signing – you are clearly prioritizing this, and credit to the Phillies, they were also prioritizing this. They were willing to play. They, the, the Phillies, there's another version where they, where Dombrowski was bullshitting, and it wasn't their top priority, and they kind of told Noah, like, listen, like a, a version of what happened with Freddie Freeman, right? Same kind of thing, where the Braves like, no, we are not going any higher. This is how we value. Sorry. In this case, the Phillies were like, you know what? This is how we value you, but we also really like you. We want to find a compromise. Let's get it done before Thanksgiving. Game over. Here we have our pitcher back. We have come, we have we have already you know achieved our number one priority by November nineteenth, and that is that is I think is nice. Although I will say before we turn it to the Braves, thinking about it for the next for the Phillies, every year I always think about this for the way that fans you know interpret moves like this, and I'm sure the bulk of Phillies fan base is very happy about this. But generally in the offseason, fan satisfaction is never fully uh, achieved by retaining your players. It is about adding. And so I'm very curious where you go from here. Maybe the NOLA con- I, I I assume the NOLA contract will be the largest contract they give out this offseason. At the same time, it'll be interesting to see what more they can do because I know Phillies fans, especially with the way the season is, they also want to add and get better. So, yeah, let's let's actually dive into this a bit more. The rotation is now pretty much set. It's going to be Wheeler, NOLA, Ranger Suarez, Taiwan Walker, Christopher Sanchez. That's the five, right? I would Maybe assume. they make, I would assume, Yamamoto. There were rumors that Yamamoto is still in the mix for them. I would be floored, yeah, shocked if they sign him. I don't believe that's 
realistic. The Mets are going to pay more than the Phillies will, and the Phillies don't have the need there. And I think most of the rest of the Phillies offseason is going to be about solidifying the bullpen. Hmm. I believe they're the only contender that's going to return their entire rotation and their entire starting lineup. Hmm. Right, because so yeah, there I is mean, legitimate. Just to be clear, the entire lineup. Just I'll just run through it. So you know, Real Muto, Harper, Stott, Turner, Bohm, Marsh, Rojas, Castellanos, Schwarber. All of those guys are under contract next year, and they're all under contract the following year. So they're yeah. all like that's a level of stability that is a good thing. However. With the way that the season ended for the Phillies, there's a legitimate conversation to be had about if shaking that group up is a good thing. I'm curious your take. Yeah, I mean, I already remember seeing some stuff um, at the end of the season about Rojas in particular. Like, it would not be stunning to me if he starts the year in AAA. No, it wouldn't be stunning to me if he makes the open day roster. But there's still versions of this roster that, like I said, especially with the way that the season ended, that probably need to be improved, whether that is just the bench, whether that is an actual starting center fielder, whether that is a, a fourth or fifth starter to either push Walker or I know you're paying Walker all that money or push Sanchez into more of a swingman role. Like I could totally see that. That wouldn't surprise me. I do agree that I think the bullpen's going to be the priority. Um, but no, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, not that this isn't a great achievement and important to retain Nola, but there, there has to be some more improvement in the roster, and it's Dave Dombrowski. I'm, I'm expecting him to do that. I, I just am not totally sure what direction they are going to go in that sense. I want to have a brief conversation about NOLA and the concept of durability. Mm-hmm. We have framed, and all of us have framed, NOLA as a durable starting pitcher because of his track record. Since 2018, he is the second most innings behind only Garrett Cole. He is as reliable as it gets to take the ball every five days, right? Mm -hmm. Would you rather – so I guess my big question, does past durability infer future durability? Is it a predictor? Or is it like he has more mileage on the arm? That scares me. So I I guess my question is two pitchers at 31 or 30 – how old is he? He's 30? Yep. He'll be 31 in June. Yeah. So he's going to throw next year at 31. Mm-hmm. Two pitchers at 31. One of them is Aaron Nola, and the other, let's say, has been starting in the big leagues for two years, and they have two years of 150 innings under their belt. Who do you believe is going to be a more reliable pitcher going forward? Yeah. I mean, I Nola has achieved, like, to me, the way that I've always viewed, and this is not very scientific, but like the way that I've sort of viewed pitcher injuries is like, let the injuries and the durability tell you, especially when we're talking about extremes. And like Nola's kind of crossed over to where the concerns about the mileage is, especially when you consider the kind of pitcher that he is, it's just not hard to think that, oh, now he's not going to be able to throw 94 anymore. Whereas like if he had a billion miles on his arm and he was throwing 99, it would be hard for me to think like, oh yeah, he's definitely going to keep throwing 99 until forever. Now we've seen versions where it go it goes like that and it's totally fine and it's Verlander and it's even DeGrom as much as he's been injured he's still throwing you know ridiculously hard when he is on the field we'll see what happens when he comes back from his latest surgery so he's gone he's achieved to the point where I'm just like okay yeah like he's he's just not going to get hurt he's just a guy that has f- figured out a way like he knows exactly what he needs to do and it's enough of a sample in the same way that I believe with Garrett Cole not that Garrett Cole is invincible 
as much as we want to believe that. And he certainly is throwing a lot harder. So it's a little bit scarier with a guy like him. But ultimately, like when you're dealing with these kind of with signing any pitcher, there's risk no matter what. So if you're pretending like you know for sure he's going to be healthy for every start of a seven year contract, that's that's a lie. And every and Aaron Nola knows that and the Phillies know that. And so it's just baked into it. And I think it's, you're going to feel as good as you can with with a guy like his with his track record. He's a good of a bet as any. Um, one or two more things on Nola, and then we'll take a break and chat about what this means for the Braves. Mm-hmm. Um, he has changed so much as a dude, not in a good way or a bad way, but has changed a lot during his time in Philly. I wrote a little bit about this during the playoffs. You know, he went from the crawfish-eating Louisiana guy who went to LSU, and now he travels with a high-end coffee-making kit in a hard case across the big leagues. Like he has, this is a, a simplified way to do it. He is northernified himself in some ways. The accent is less thick than it used to be. Um, and I, I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is notable that Nola, Philadelphia was a foreign type of place for him when he got there. And instead of fighting that, he embraced it and kind of altered aspects of himself to fit the city and the experience better. And I give him quite a bit of credit for that. Yeah. I mean, Um, I wouldn't say it reminds me like, I remember when, when I first moved to New York and had, I hated it and I was just trying to leave every weekend. Uh And then my mom said to me, don't fight the city. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I liked it. Now I like it. But I think that's actually a decent comp just because I mean, Aaron Nola got there when he was 21, right? 22. Like, it's not like he was a fully formed adult person who knew what his adult existence was going to be like anyway. And yeah, maybe if he was drafted yeah. by the Braves or the Astros or somewhere that was a little bit closer to home, he would have, you know, maintained more of the Louisiana part of his existence. But I yeah. think it's not that surprising. This is where he ended up and it's where he thrived. And he wasn't there was no reason for him to fight it, especially because he was having so much success early on. And so it's not like uh uh you know and, and remember, you know, he he had already committed to the Phillies in, in a real way and they committed to him with an extension earlier in his career. It wasn't, you know, 172 million dollars, but it was it was a lot and it did, you know, extend him you know, into free agency a little bit further. They did buy out a free agent year. Like there was already a level of comfort there earlier on. So it's not surprising uh, to see them continue that. But I know you do want to talk about this crawfish twitch, that crawfish. Tw- Ooh, wow. Yeah. That's a tough, tough uh, combination of words. Crawfish. You got tweet, it. Which you got it. You have referenced this many times. I did not realize until you resurfaced it that it is, it is uh, my, my shortstop, JP Crawford. I mean, hello. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. is a big part of this. So JP so Crawfish, me, you know, set the stage here. J.B. Crawford, Philly's legend, kind of, yeah. not really. Uh, <laughs> J.B. Crawford, this is, uh, you know, when uh, like team Twitter accounts let players take over their account and answer a bunch of questions. This is in January of 2016, the year after NOLA had debuted, and the Phillies were trying to uh, suck an iota of personality out of Aaron Nola and had him do a Twitter takeover. And one of the questions that is asked here is, from J.P. Crawford, at Phillies, at Aaron Nola, how much crawfish you eat this offseason? Okay. And this is January 19th. Mm-hmm. And Nola, as the Phillies Twitter account, quote tweets that and says, this is all it says, 730 pounds. This is 730 um... pounds of crawfish this off se- that offseason. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't believe that. Let's just be clear. Mathematically, it doesn't make sense. We're saying November, December, some of January. We'll give them all of January. I would assume they didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> I guess they didn't what, make the playoffs. Yeah, well, so what do you October. mean? October, too. Is, they, they lost 99 yeah. games. I mean, he had all yeah. of October. This was a very different Phillies time. I mean, you give the guy. He had so let's say it's. Here. Let's say it's four months, okay? <laughs> four months. Let's call that, uh, so, you know, 730 pounds divided by four months. Mm-hmm. That's 182 and a half pounds a month. 182 pounds divided by four weeks. That's 45 pounds a week. 45 divided by seven-ish. That's around, it's around six and a half to seven pounds of crawfish per day. Mm. Man, no thanks. I mean, I, I, I don't, I would struggle with that over the course. I would struggle with six and a half to seven pounds over the whole over the whole off season because <laughs> I am now I understand anti seafood, but to, again, I, I mean, I don't know. I can't speak to. There's, let's just say this. There's, a, let's yeah. just say this. There's a lot of shell and refuse on a crawfish that adds to the weight of the crawfish that is not necessarily consumed. You see what I'm saying? Like if you order an 18 pound or sorry, an 18 ounce steak, you're not eating 18 ounces of meat. You know, True. there's, there's okay. a bone Oh, ounce. I see what you mean. It's like how much is actually being consumed. Like the, the weight of the product that ends up on your plate might be as such, but that doesn't mean you are actually consuming as much. Correct. That does already make it all very easier to fathom, I think. Um, now, but again, the whole reason that J.P. Crawford, who I think was his minor league teammate at some point, uh, but this is even like two years before J.P. Crawford makes a major league debut. This isn't an accident. Like, obviously, they had discussed this before, and J.P. Crawford was yeah. like, oh, this is funny. Like, my my buddy Aaron's doing a Twitter, you know, whatever. Like, let me, let me check in on his Crawford yeah. intake because this, this had to have been a point of discussion. So I feel like, you know, that, that lends crazy. So, now, at the same time, let's, let's, let's go another route. As you mentioned, trying to tease out some personality in Aaron Nola. Who, by the way, Aaron Nola's Twitter account here seems to have been deleted. Not surprising, um, but not an uh, Elon here's, Musk here's guy. Here. Here's my question here: Maybe this is just Aaron Nola making a making a funny. Maybe Aaron Nola is like, oh, I think. Okay, yeah. so I think this is Aaron Nola making a joke. I totally agree. Okay, because it's impossible to eat that much crawfish in an off season. It, yeah. It's impossible. So if he is making a joke. Why 730? Mm. That's such a specific number. Someone on Twitter mentioned that it is 365 times two. True. So it is two pounds a day every day over the year, but that doesn't make any sense. It's just an outrageously specific number for Aaron Nola to say that's how much crop. I agree. I agree. Anyway, it does make it seem like he's, you know, has a scale and he's been, you know, keeping track all winter. And now, honestly, what I'm motivated to do, which I'm not going to do now, is is to go back and, and look at his other answers to questions during this. And if he was making other jokes or if this was the most straightforward answer he gave. The rest of it was probably really boring, right? There's an iconic NOLA answer from this. Oh, it's so funny. Let me read it and then we'll quickly take a break. He had um, – this was written by our, our friend Eric Chesterton over at um, – the good <laughs> fight on, on SB Nation. Oh, on SB. Oh yeah, this is what. Okay, this is like one of the. This was a an iconic thing. So someone tweeted at Nola and said, "Like, how do you? How's the fan base? 
right? This is from the same Q&A? Yeah. It was like, what do you think about the Phillies fan base? And he responded, solid. <laughs> we should, you should follow, you should have followed up with that. Um, these solid. past two Octobers. And you're like, Eric wow, writes, Aaron, the atmosphere tonight, like how solid. would you describe it? Cause you know, solid. back in 2016, you really, well, also what do you want him to say? They, they, they were a horrible team. So that's what Eric wrote. Even though you pitched shit. in front of empty stadiums last season, you need to say something like amazing or passionate. Solid, though it may be true, ain't going to cut it. Oh, solid. That's a good question. What's the most solid fan base? Because it's not the Phillies. You know, I'm not I'm not answering that question. OK, um, anyway, uh, let's take a quick break and we return. Uh, we'll talk about what this move means for non Aaron Nola and Phillies uh, characters. Uh, and then we'll get into some other offseason news. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a brand new housekeeping note about our merch. Basically, we have a bunch of new stuff. So if you've been looking for a baseball barbercast themed beanie or bucket hat, or even a t-shirt with one of those cool pockets on the chest, well, you can stop looking and start buying because they are all available right now, just in time for winter. Just go to podswag.com slash baseball and don't leave yourself clothesless this winter. That's P-O-D-S-W-A-G.com slash baseball. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast, Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. If you say Aaron Nola really quickly to a non-baseball fan, it will sound like Ariola. So just be careful about that Ooh, as yeah. you discuss dangerous. this dangerous. signing. Very dangerous. What does this mean for the non-Phillies? What does this mean for the Braves? So mm. let's... The Braves were rumored to be interested in Nola. They made Nola an offer. Would I would assume it was more than what the Phillies offered, right? Or at the very least, with taxes, it would have come out to more. It seems like again, like I don't the rumors that there are the reports that there he left money on the table. We know the Braves registered. You can connect those dots. We don't know if we can yeah. connect those dots, right? Whatever, whether it was a bigger offer or not, they were interested in Aaron Nola. They did not get him. They did not. So at the same time. The Braves have cleared quite a bit of roster space and payroll over the last couple of days. Payroll yeah. less so. I would probably yeah, I would say, say what say they more saved a... around eight, seven to eight million. Yeah. I mean maybe a little more. I think Rosenthal threw out the fourteen million number, but I don't again, I think getting too focused on this specific money. They are doing something. They have they non tendered the most players. I believe they non tendered seven players. They made that giant trade with the White Sox, which included more players they were going to probably non-tender, uh, like Soroka, like Nicky Lopez. And now we are looking at a 40-man roster that I believe consists of like 27 people, um, which is very unusual. Uh, and Or I guess 30. It's down to 30, which is, I think, the second lowest but ahead of only the Mets, who are also clearing a ridiculous amount of space, but that's more because most of their team is bad. Whereas the and, Braves, no, and David Stearns wants to cook. Yeah, it's it's a little, both those go hand in hand in a very very uh, very nice way. Now, for the Braves' case, it's like okay, well, we know that you just mentioned the Phillies. Like, 
Well, the Braves roster is also pretty set. We know that left field will at least be some level of question, but it seems like the rotation is some level of, of uh, in flux because of a combination of, of age and injury and now trades that they've made. And, you know, we know Strider and Freed at the top. We know Charlie Morton is, is going to be back. Bryce Elder, breakout season, we'll see. You know, Waskar Yanoa, who didn't pitch this past season because he was injured, he's sort of penciled as the five. But yeah, there's a very clear need for a starting pitcher for the Braves. But at the same time, like when you see all these moves, it's, it sparks this. It's not just like, OK, you don't need to clear 10 roster spots for Aaron Nola. He's one person. <laughs> so I don't know what kind of what's happening here. And it's not like they've cleared enough payroll to where it's like, oh, here comes Otani. Here comes this. Like th- if they were going to sign Otani, it, they didn't need to clear 10 roster spots. So, like, I don't really know what to make of this, to be honest. I am confused. In uh, professional cycling, this will happen sometimes because if you sign one of the big, you know, five to ten riders in the world, they have their friends. <laughs> like mm. you have to sign them too. So, like, there's a famous cyclist since retired named Peter Sagan, and so when a team would sign Peter Sagan, they would have to sign his brother and like his other Slovakian buddies who would like (laughs) come to your team and have to fill a roster spot. But that is not the case in baseball. If you sign Otani, you don't have to uh, acquire his pals at the same time. So you're right. I am very interested in what they're up to because there has to be some sort of payoff or at least some sort of reason for this. And the reason might be, we want to freshen up the bottom of the roster, get new faces in the door, alter some things about the culture, um, give ourselves more depth. Like there's – that's fine. The, another reason could be we're trying to save money wherever we can so we can spend as much money as we're able to do this winter to improve the top of the roster. Both possible. But the roster spots, that's why – like you can't just sell those for cash. That's not how it works. So I am also intrigued what they're doing. Here is my Braves offseason prediction. Okay. okay. I think they're going to get Sonny Gray. I yep, that think... was reported that they're interested there. And that, I, I yeah. mean, I would be, yeah, there's so many starting pitchers out there. Like, there's no shot they're not landing at least one of them. Yeah. I just think they like the short contract they can get Gray on. I think he fits well with that staff, whatever. And then I think they're going to get Josh Hader. Mm. Mm hmm. If there's one thing we know, here's here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. If there's one, the 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 only thing Alex Anthopoulos loves more than signing a 24 year old to a below market value extension, it's paying for relievers and free agency. Yeah. So they've already done some of that, right? We know that they just trade a bunch of bummers. So you're saying. They go with the hater, minter, matzik, bummer. I mean, that's about as good as Iglesias. you can get from a left <laughs> relief core situation. That's that's pretty yeah. gnarly. Um, yeah. I would be a little surprised uh, because while the Braves are clearly willing to spend, I we haven't seen them like like I mean, hater. That would be kind of your your next big move. Like hater AAV might end up with similar to eh, similar to Sunny Gray. Is that crazy? Like it might be. Like I don't know. If they're doing both of those, we'll see how much how much like we haven't seen them just like blast into the luxury tax in a way that we've seen the yeah. other teams do it. And I think that might, if they're also getting a starter, might require that. It would be kind of surprising. But yeah. I, I mean, I I wouldn't. 
I think that that's, I think Hater has a weirdly limited market, and I think the teams at the top maybe would do that, but I don't know. He seems a little too smart to pay that much for a single reliever, but we'll see. I guess he just sort of did that for in a different way for Aaron Bummer, but we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, I think just quickly, Braves left field. There's a chance they roll with Von Grisham on opening day. I think that's more of a possibility than people are are giving it credit for. But I, if they do roll with Grisham, they will sign some sort of Kevin Pillar style vet to be on the bench as a backup. They can be an outstanding team with Von Grisham in left field, right? But they can also upgrade there and go for Tommy Pham or go for Teoscar Hernandez or go for yeah, I kind Gabriel of or I I view that as a as a, I just wrote at Fox um, for today about the Rangers offseason and kind of looking at their lineup and how set they are at essentially every position uh, going into next year. And I, I kind of wonder the same thing for their DH spot where it's like, okay, like Garver clearly was good and fit. They could roll with some sort of rotation of guys and still have one of the best lineups in baseball, or they can go get J.D. Martinez, right, or go get Jorge Soler. And I view the kind of the same thing with with the Braves left field where it's like, listen, even if they have nobody out there, if they if they want to throw Jeff Mathis out there, like it's still going to be an elite li- lineup, but uh, they have the opportunity to to make the offense even scarier. And based on the way Alex Anthopoulos <laughs> acts, it wouldn't surprise me if he is rather aggressive in that sense. Let's talk about what this NOLA news means for the St. Louis Cardinals. Mm. So Derek Gould uh, reported, of course, he's going to be our number one source for Cardinals-related activity. Uh, he basically said that, yeah, Cardinals obviously were interested, but we're not necessarily in the mix at the final stop here just because, again, as we've talked about earlier, it seems like Nola and his people made it very clear that, like, listen, like, this is where we want to be. So we're not going to kind of waste teams like the Cardinals' times or even the teams like the Braves' times to, to really kind of go back and forth with some sort of hard-hitting negotiation. But the point is, is this is relevant to them because they were a very obvious external landing spot for Aaron Nola, and we know they are have the most aggressive stated intentions in the way that we talked about Dombrowski. Like, they've been saying for months, like, we need to acquire at least two starting pitchers, probably three, and now Aaron Nola will not be one of them. So, you know, every starting pitcher that comes off the board for the Cardinals will be... It's again at this stage. It's not like okay, their offseason's a failure because they didn't get Aaron Nola. But it does every single time someone signs with somebody else. It's like all right, Cardinals. Like hello, you said you were going to do something and you didn't. So, and Sonny Gray would also be a perfect fit there. So if he goes to Atlanta, now we had another thing, and that's kind of the experience we're going to be watching with the Cardinals uh, all offseason long. And the other thing, semi related to that, is that you know Yoshinobu Yamamoto is expected to be posted today which opens up the 45 day posting period negotiating window which is often the case for Japanese players not always the case sometimes they're full full fledged free agents but in this case he is being posted by his team and what that means is that teams not only do they have to pay kind of a a posting fee on top of the giant sum of money that he is going to command as a free agent but there is a limited time to negotiate that contract. So that opens up the window, I guess, today or tomorrow. We'll push it just past uh, New Year's to, I believe, the day I will leave for my honeymoon. So, Mr. Yamamoto, please sign before then. I would really appreciate it. But, um, uh, yeah, that is... That's, so now that Yamamoto's market is open and we will start getting reports about who he's meeting with and everything, we'll see how that kind of moves the starting pitching market in addition to this NOLA news. The Oryx Buffaloes and Elon Musk, Jordan. Oh, 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 yep. They're both requesting a posting fee. Oh, man. Yeah. 
Thankfully, not as much. Thankfully, as as disastrous as as the Elon stuff has been, um, not requesting as much as what it's going to cost to get Yamamoto. Thankfully, and for now, I mean, who knows? Uh, let's uh, let's let's move on to some other news, Jake. Before we get any additional <laughs> free agency signings this morning, let's uh, let's first say goodbye. Just because we just got this news this morning, let's talk about Zach Britton. Jake Zach Britton retired. Let's just before we get to our non-tenders. Uh, let's, let's talk about Zach Britton, Zach Britton. We just talked about Josh Hader and left-handed relievers and everything. I mean, Zach Britton for, for a little, for a hot sec there, I mean, gold standard. I mean, dude was absolutely unbelievable. He had a run there where it was some of, some of the most dominant relief seasons we've seen in the last, you know, decade plus belonged to Zach Britton. One of the greatest Dominican pitchers of all time. Oh, that's true. That's the first thing you think of. That's true. That's a great point. Uh, Zach Britton, who is a quarter Dominican and therefore counts as a homegrown Dominican player in the Dominican Winter League, just to be clear. Uh, So from 14 to 20, okay, 2014 to 2020, 369 games with a 1.84 ERA. Yeah. That's... That'll do it. That's sustained dominance. Mm-hmm. And I would out say of the we, we just talked about uh, Aaron Bummer um, the other day and how he has become an elite ground ball pitcher. He is one of the gold standards among certainly relievers, but even all pitchers. It's just like, you need this ball on the ground? Bring in uh, Aaron Bummer. I believe Aaron Bummer's career ground ball rate is like 55, 58, you could pull that up. Zach Britton over his whole career, 66%. And in those that peak stretch from 14 to you know 18 to the end of time as Baltimore was as high as 80%. So it was basically just like an auto ground ball, auto double play if you need it. And the strikeouts were there too. And that is how you end up with a fourth place Cy Young finish as a reliever uh, in 2016. You get an MVP votes. You know, with the .54 ERA, 67 innings, 194 FIP. Like, it was just so automatic and so impressive. And while he did deal with some injuries and it felt like it, you know, when you have relievers that dominant, you wonder there's no way this can last. It lasted a pretty long time, and then poof. Uh, it was really, when it was over, it was over. And we, we you know, we didn't see him pitch this past year. And um, it was it was over in a hurry, and it was unfortunate that you know he really did not pitch much meaningful innings past age thirty two. But what a what a peak it was! I mean, the twenty sixteen season, that's zero point five four ERA, forty seven yeah. saves in sixty seven innings. Yeah, struck out seventy four batters. The, in that season, the bowling ball sinker was just incredible all season long. And it's unfortunate that the Orioles didn't make a deep enough run in the playoffs to get him into a game where they were up on yeah. the road. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was that is definitely one way to phrase that. Uh, we don't have to revisit that as we celebrate Zach Britton's career, but we salute him. He is absolutely one of the the best at his best, one of the best relievers that I can remember watching on a regular basis. He would be uh, eighth on the all-time saves leaderboard for Dominican pitchers. <laughs> it is wild to see his, like, the saves distribution because he, he didn't get to do a lot of closing with the Yankees. So, you know, to see him go 37, 36, 47, 
uh, and then that was kind of it. That was kind of <laughs> most of his saves for his career in those three uh, those three years. So Zach Britton, enjoy your retirement. And Buck Britton, what's his brother up to? What's the status uh, for for his bro? His know? brother Buck is, I believe, still the AAA manager for the Baltimore Orioles, uh, the Norfolk Tides. Buck Britton is uh, assumed by many to be a future big league manager or bench coach. He is a name that you will see a lot more of moving forward. You will know more about Buck Britton than Zach Britton over the rest of their careers. That One is, last Zach Britton thing. Yeah. Remember when he was like, you idiots have been spelling my name wrong the whole <laughs> yes, time? Of course. That is he was like, great. It's, it, uh, <laughs> you've been spelling it Z-A-C-H forever at Z-A-C-K. And everyone was like, why didn't you freaking say something, dude? Yeah, there was a lot of weird stuff going on with that. Like, I, I don't know what happened there. It was that's because it's one thing where it's like, oh, hey, you've been pronouncing it wrong. But like in this case, it's like, really, dude, like why this is this does not feel like a hard thing to correct. It's not like awkward to be like, hey, I've been dealing with it my whole life. Like, I feel it, I can understand the awkwardness. But like, hey, it's pronounced this way. Like everyone's saying it this way. Like, that's a little like we could have we could have addressed that earlier. But. Anyway, one of the weirder one of the weirder stories. But all right, Zach Britton, we salute you. Let's move on to the non-tender deadline on Friday. We added a bunch more free agents to What does this mean? Explain the, to me like what I'm does dumb. This mean? All right. So uh there is a time during the offseason when the teams basically have to at least declare that the teams that are either in pre-arbitration or in arbitration, for the most part arbitration, um will the players really have you on the, the team next year. The you said the teams, the players that are in arbitration, the players that are in, that are in arbitration, which is their third to sixth year uh, as major leaguers or service time, whatever um, we need to. The teams have to say now, yes, you will be on our team. We will tender you a contract, which basically means we don't necessarily know exactly how much that's going to be worth. We'll hammer that out in January and February. But you we want you on our team. Or if you're projected to make you know more money than we really want to pay for you next year. Congratulations, you get to be a free agent way earlier than normal, which is like, oh, cool. Sometimes that works out if you're Cody Bellinger. Other times it's like, well, shit, that might be the end of my major league career. That that signals that a major league team doesn't want me. Functionally, for our purposes, now there's another like 60 free agents that we add to what was already, you know, 120 names that we're already keeping track of. Now, obviously, most of these guys are fringe roster guys. We don't have to review all of them, but there were certainly some interesting ones headlined by Brandon Woodruff who had shoulder surgery after the season and is not expected to pitch in 2024. But when he's been on the mound, has been one of probably a top 10 starting pitcher in baseball over the last three or four seasons. And now he's a free agent. Now he's a free agent who can is probably not going to pitch next year. And shoulder surgery is terrifying. But he's still a dude who is has a ton of track record. And I am confident that many teams will be happy to give him a multi-year deal and say, hey, go rehab the shoulder. Hopefully we will have you in 2025. And as for as a release of the Brewers, I like guess it's just a kind of a shitty end for the Brewers tenure. Unfortunate. It might end up being a footnote in a larger Brewers sell-off that could include Corbin Burns. It could include, you know, Willie Adamas, you know, Rowdy Telez, another important part of their team last few years, not as much this year. He was also non-tendered. So clearly they are kind of moving in a different, younger direction in a lot of respects. But uh, this is just an unfortunate, I, I'm not saying it's shocking. I'm not saying it's, I mean, how much are we blaming the Brewers here? I know we're quick to say like, oh, they're being cheap and that's true. But I understand the caution from their perspective, but it is an unfortunate ending to his tenure. It's not a gamble that the Brewers think they can make. Yeah. 
which again sucks. But also, like, I mean, I'll be honest. First thing I thought was like, oh, they're just getting the Cubs. <laughs> like, if I'm Craig Council, I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll take that bet. Like, why not? Like, even if we're not going to have him this year, and we got you know money to spend here, like, the upside gamble here is not that we haven't seen upside injured pitcher gambles before. There's versions of that every season. This is a little bit different, maybe a lot different when you consider the risk and you know you're not getting something up front. But th- this his his market could be all over the place, and I, I'm really really intrigued. And he's by far I think the name we are going to be most. Sometimes we have you know three to four non tenders where it's like oh damn like that guy could get a good bit of money. It just didn't make sense on his team. In this case, Woodruff really stands out among the other ones. But was there anything yeah. else on him or any any other non tenders that stood out to you? The other non-tenders that stood out to me, Nick Senzel with the Reds, just yeah. because any time a team pulls the plug on a second overall pick, yeah. that's notable. Senzel was better last year than he'd been in previous seasons. He offers a lot of defensive versatility. He hits left-handed pitching well, but he just didn't fit the crowded Reds roster. Yeah, and this was also, again, as someone who followed the Reds closely, saw Senzel a lot. I was such a believer in him early in his career, and watching him up close, I kind of landed a little bit lower, uh, Not, but I do think he's still a useful player, but in the same way that Votto no longer fit on the roster, like there was really no playing time for him. I know that they were trying to trade him. He wanted to trade. Like That's not a secret. Like he, Not that he wasn't very happy there and, and wanted to stay with his the team that, that kind of developed him, but it just wasn't going to make sense for this. So he just needs to get healthy and find a place he can play consistently, and he can he can probably carve out a role, but I, I wouldn't get too excited about some sort of star-level breakout for him. Mets fans, your national nightmare is over. Daniel Vogelback was one of the players that was non-tendered. He will not be clogging up the designated hitter spot any longer. He's a free agent. Some will pick him up on... I would imagine. Actually, let's think about it like this: How many of these players get a guaranteed big league deal? Of yeah, the so players. So let me read the list. Yeah, well, Rowdy Tellez. Yes this is no. just. This is not all of them. I mean, there's like sixty plus. So this is just the, the ones I highlighted. Yeah, I know, but these are the most likely to get a sure. guaranteed deal. Rowdy Tellez. Oh, am I answering as we go? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Rowdy versus Vogi is a really interesting one because as bad as Vogi was, he was better than Rowdy. This past year, Rowdy was was atrocious. Um, I think, yeah, over under major league contracts for Telez plus Vogie is, is is an interesting one. I think one of them will get it and one of them will not. I think, I think, ooh, wow, I think Rowdy is more likely to get it. Kyle Lewis, non tendered by the Diamondbacks, he was their opening day leadoff hitter. Really, for the team that went to the World Series, yes. Oh, my God. So, you know, the Mariners trade him for Cooper Hummel, who got like 10 at-bats in the big leagues, was just in AAA. I, honestly, I, I doubt it, but, no. like, I hope he gets another shot somewhere. Like, Arizona felt like a good landing spot, and it just was not happening. He was amazing in AAA, but so was everybody in Reno. So I don't know what to make of that. Tim Hill, no chance. Left-handed reliever. You think no chance? I feel yeah, like, no well, chance. I don't know. Yeah, he was. Someone will invite him to camp and he'll make a team, but I don't think he yeah, gets he'll a make a team, deal. but not get a guarantee. Yeah. Deal. yeah, I agree with that. Austin Nola, I would say yes, just wow. because the catching market is so thin. He was so bad for the Padres Oof. the last couple seasons, but there are behind Gary Sanchez, there's just no catching available. Yeah, I'm still saying no there. He, okay. but maybe there was some health stuff there that he, he can get fixed and has a chance. Dom Smith, my man. Go to Korea. 
Probably not. Makes, yeah. Make some probably. money. I, I don't think so. Austin Meadows. Austin Meadows is a really interesting one. So for those unfamiliar with this with this story, he was dealing uh, with anxiety, just serious anxiety, and just was basically unable to be a part of the team. And he kind of kind of came open about that, um, I think, a little over a year ago. I think it was either during the 2022 season or before this year. And he just has been, you know, a non-factor in Detroit. He's, he's not been feeling, you know, able to to perform to be a part of the team. We hope that he's still, I, as far as we know, he's still, you know, attempting to come back and play. But we just don't really know what the what the latest on that is. So, you know, we hope for the best for him. And I mean, he was that that trade certainly did not work out for them for reasons beyond the Tigers' control. But it would be nice to see him get back in the big leagues in, in some form or another and with some team. And it's unfortunate yeah. too, because, you know, his, he was away from the team when his, his brother came up and had the really exciting debut Parker Meadows with, with the Tigers. So maybe they work out a deal. Maybe he goes back to Detroit. You can still see a fit there, but for what he was, you know, scheduled to earn it, I understand this move. So non-tender deadline also gives us a number of trades. We talked about Cal Quantrill last week. He ended up getting dealt from the guardians to the Rockies very quickly terrible fit unfortunate yeah i mean i like i i'm not surprised because you know he he's a big durable righty and he gets ground balls and i'm sure the rockies are like oh that i mean i i don't blame the rockies for doing this at all like this is absolutely how often are they gonna be able to access it's not like any of the free agent starting pitchers are gonna be like hell yeah sign me up for cores so like i think this makes plenty of sense for the rockies i don't blame them whatsoever like this is absolutely a way to try and improve your rotation do i think his arsenal is fitted for success at course field no but prove me wrong i i would love to i i like how Quantrill that that that, that kind of sucks for him but hopefully he can uh he can make the most of it speaking of sucks for him jake bowers on the move from the new york yankees to the milwaukee brewers a team that he somehow has not already been on shocking yeah. to me Jake yeah. Bowers, who had a nice little stretch with the Yankees this year, the final season numbers were not that good, yeah. that he was the left fielder and leadoff hitter for large stretches of time this season, says more about the Yankees than it does about Jake Bowers. He is a completely fine bench lefty up and down guy who can give you some depth, but he yeah. is not respectfully Nice dude, like Jake. Where he's at right now, I don't think he is a big league starting first baseman, especially not for the Yankees. Well, he's currently penciled in as such because they just <laughs> they just not tender about it to less. So I mean, it's funny in theory. It's like, oh God, you're on the Yankees and that's so fun, and now you're on the Brewers and they might be rebuilding, whatever. Like, I don't know. I feel like this is a nice landing spot for him. I agree with you. I think the ceiling is limited, but should he be a starting first baseman? Probably not. I think that that is that is a fair. He had assessment. a sixty games. Yeah, sixty game stretch this year with uh, OPS over eight hundred. Like he, he can be. He's fine. fine. No, he he's, can be fine. he's useful. And, and I will also say, credit to the Yankees for for getting a couple prospects back, including one in Jay Savino, who's like totally solid. Like it seems, I don't know if they were going to non tender Bowers. I don't know what, what their plan was with him, but like totally reasonable. Makes sense. To, the Brewers are exactly the team that you'd be like, oh, call them. They'll probably give us a prospect <laughs> for him. They could use they could use a, a Jake Bowers on their roster. So let's uh, let's see what happens there. Mariners make a trade acquiring Luis Urias from the Red Sox in exchange for Isaiah Campbell. Urias is a, was dealt at the deadline from Milwaukee to 
Uh, Boston was the uh, was originally traded from San Diego to Milwaukee in exchange for Trent Grisham. His career hasn't really panned out exactly the way a lot of people expected, not hitting for as much power, and the average has been lower. What do you uh, What are your thoughts on Luis Urias and the Mariners? Yeah, I mean, I I like this I like this a, a good bit. I mean, trading from you know Isaiah Campbell, who was like their low leverage guy, totally solid reliever, but they can pull relievers out of nowhere. They cannot pull hitters out of nowhere, and I think that's my struggle with this deal. Makes a ton of sense. I mean, Urias was a real, a real prospect. Like he was up to like a you know top fifty kind of guy because of the profile, high contact, you know, a, a versatile defender. He hit always hit well in the minors. It just never really came together. But then twenty one and twenty two, he was really good. My issue here is the Mariners have not proven to be able to get the most out of these kind of post hype style players. Now I'm still much more excited about this than you know trading for Colton Wong or trading for an older like. Luis Arias is going to play 2024 27. He shouldn't be necessarily getting 600 at bats, but like he's always hit lefties. He can play multiple positions. I, if you think he can get him back closer to 21 22, like that's a, that makes a lot of sense. So I like it. It's just that the Mariners don't have, really have the track record of kind of making the most out of those guys. So that, if they can start to prove that, then I think it's a totally sensible. And he was dealing with injuries this past year. So his struggles this yeah. past season don't really worry me as much as just getting the most out of him, especially moving to a worse ballpark. He led the 2021 NL Central Champion Brewers in plate appearances and yeah. was pretty good. Yeah. Like this it's guy was old. not nothing yeah. recently. Yep. So. Yep. So I, I think he's solid. I, I, I like it. Uh, but again, like they, they really got to prove a lot more from the player development side uh, things. Um, one uh, more deal that I do want to hit on. And there, there were a couple of the trades that I think we'll touch on later this week which we can tease at the end of the show. But Kyle Wright for Jackson Coar, I guess we could have mentioned it with the Braves earlier, but another first-round pick out the door. And I think that the Braves, who have now traded, I think, seven or eight of their first-round picks from the last five or six seasons. Kyle Wright, also uh, shoulder surgery, not expected to pitch next year. What a weird what a weird tenure for him with, uh, with Atlanta. Uh, to go from whatever, 20-game winner and then, back to sort of a fringe of the roster and whatever injuries will do that, especially if it's shoulder, but I kind of not surprised that, that Brian Bridges, who's now uh, the scouting director or, or in the uh, Braves front o- or the Royals front office had been with the Braves for a long time, was one of the big guys that drafted Kyle Wright. Not surprising that he wants to bring him over to Kansas city. And then Jackson Coar, another one where, you know, great college pitcher and the Royals have just had so many high draft picks, pitching picks that have just flopped recently. And that's just probably a change of scenery bet. For a pitcher that is actually healthy yeah. and can maybe help Atlanta in some form. So I, I understand that, but also a weird way for Kyle Wright's uh, tenure to end. Most of the moves we just listed will mean nothing this season. They will fall into dust, mm-hmm. and one of them will be a huge freaking deal. And we just <laughs> don't know what it's going to be yet. Yes. Uh, all right, Jake. Let's, and again, we know there's some other trades. We'll get to those later this week. Let's finish with an email before we say goodbye. You can email us at baseballbarbercast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. This email comes from Brighton. Brighton says, hey, Jordan and Jake, love the pod. Great stuff. Kick size. Can't get enough of that Barbercast. Same, bro. That's why we do it three times a week. Wanted to ask you about the episode you did on May 1st, 2023. Mm. You did a standings draft, drafting teams based on where you were most likely to end up at the end of the year in the same place in the standings that they were on May 1st. You mentioned producer Chris would take notes, but in case Mr. Chris lost his notes, here's how you both did. Producer Chris, did you take notes? If not, it's fine because Brighton did all the work. <laughs> no, let's, let's leave it to Brighton there. I think. <laughs> okay, thank you, Brighton. So just to explain the premise, this was May 1st. We were looking at the standings on May 1st. 
And we were drafting teams based on how much we believed that their standing on that day would stay the same. So it was basically a way to pick teams. And we said, oh, the A's are in last. The A's are going to be in last at the end of the season. And the goal was to basically, if a team moved, changed spots by a certain number of, of positions. So if a team went from fifth to third, that was two spots and that was two points and we wanted to avoid teams moving point you know moving spots so that we want as few points as possible golf yes golf low scores and so um we don't have to read every single pick here but i there were some very interesting results basically who we were taking at the front and you know some of the we, we alternated and uh before we get to the, the end results here just for an example our first jake took the a's with the first pick so that's zero points that's exactly what you're looking for they fit they were fifth on may 1st and they finished fifth i took the nats they finished in last now that one that was close that actually ended up kind of sweating that one out because they were in fourth place uh, shockingly late braves in first that was good royals in fifth rockies in fifth dodgers in, in first me taking the Dodgers in first on May 1st, I kind of surprised me, but I guess I, I I bought that so great. So our first six picks, we nailed them. No no standing change. That's exactly who those first picks should be. And we had the Cubs and the Rays with the next two picks. Rays were in first. The Cubs were in second. Cubs ended up moving up a spot. Rays moving down a spot. But any other picks uh, that, that show up here that, that kind of surprise you, we don't have to go through all of them, but it is funny looking at them um, in retrospect. For example, the last pick was the Yankees. I took the Yankees with the last pick because they were in, they were in last place, and I was like, "Oh, they're going to end up in second or third or, or first or whatever." So I don't want all those points, and they only yeah. ended up you know moving up to fourth. So that wasn't a whole lot of points. The, the way to think about this exercise was how real do we think this team's first month is? How indicative is it? Right? And I, it is very interesting where we ended up. Like I looking back at it, it is very odd. I think we nailed the top. We knew the bad teams were going to be bad. We knew the good teams were going to be good. The worst pick here, I think, is the Mets. The Mets. The Mets were in second, and they ended up in fourth. So you were believing in the Mets' solid start. That turned out to be I think I was believing they would finish second, right? And that's why I I thought it was going to be zero points. And so for them to fall that that, that far. um, And then, you know, at the very end, you know, you have teams like you taking the pirates towards the end was smart because they were in first place. And then they, you know, had, uh, that, that was three points. They ended up in fourth, the Cardinals going 28th because they were in fifth. That was an example uh, of one where it's like, it, it worked out in my favor because they well, ended we, up, were we, we were, were wrong. wrong. Like we were wrong. Yeah. Yeah. We were wrong, but also it, it worked out because it was zero points, but I picked them almost near the end because I thought it was going to end up being more points. So it was an interesting game and, and yeah, definitely a good reflection of, of how stupid uh, the standings are in May. So thank you to Brighton. Really see, I disagree. By the way, Jake won. I had it. See, I disagree. I, there was less movement here than I expected there to be when I opened the email. Mm. The only teams that garnered mm. multiple points were the Mets and the Pirates. We're the only two teams that moved more than one spot. Yeah. That's actually so a really, really good point. Yeah, like, okay, here's, here's a really good way to, to think about it. How many of the teams were in the same position on May 1st than they were at the end of the season? 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 14. So 14. So about half the teams. I mean, that, that does feel like maybe more, especially for some of them, like, you know, the White Sox in fourth, Padres in third. Um, the Marlins in third, right? Like 
that's that's what it was. Uh, and maybe that in the Cardinals in fifth, right? So maybe that is surprising. But anyway, Jake, you ended up winning. So congratulations. And thank you to Brian. <laughs> thank you to Brian. You, I know you've been thinking Suck about it, it all Jordan. Year, so you did. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Pay up. Uh, all right, Jake, let us end this podcast uh, with a couple of quick notes. The first is we have some news. Uh, first of all, a lot of uh, very exciting things coming up. We are going to the winter meetings. We are very excited about that. That is coming up um, a little you know, week after Thanksgiving or so, week and a half after Thanksgiving. So we're excited to go to Nashville. We'll see how many other signings happen before then, trades happen before then. But also, we'll be introducing a new podcast here on this feed. Not really a new podcast, but a new flavor of the Barbacast. Correct. We're referring to as the Prospect Barbacast. We do not spend that much time in the regular season talking about prospects as prospects because we have so much major league action to get to. But because our dear friend Mike Farron, fellow serious member of the SiriusXM family, MLB Network Radio, and one of our one of the most important people in our existence in this industry, Mike Farron. It's like, hey, you guys want to do a po- uh, prospect podcast with me? I said, hey, absolutely, Mike. Let's do it. We are going to introduce that this week, and you will start hearing that on Wednesdays. We will still address news as it comes, but during the soft season, we are going to be working this in, ideally one of our episodes every week on Wednesdays. And so you will hear the first edition of that on Wednesday, getting some more prospect talk, addressing some of those other trades we did not get to, as well as uh, some fall league stuff and some other prospect stuff from the season. So excited to get to to work on that with Uncle Mark, uh, as we like to call him. Uh, But yeah, I'm excited about that. Are you excited about that? I am excited about that. I, if you don't think we're nitty gritty enough, whew, just you wait. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think, uh, I know people do care about prospects for a lot of reasons. And I think that, I hope that also the wider audience can still uh, find some interest in this. Cause again, this is the kind of stuff that we are super into. We just don't have a lot of time to get to it during the regular season. And we thought this was a good way to kind of shake things up in the winter. Uh, so looking forward to that on Wednesday. And then Friday, we will have an episode, uh, pre-recorded episode TBD. So stay tuned for that. But uh, other than that, I think that's it. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. Producer Chris, thank you for producing. And also congratulations to Team Australia on capturing the Cricket World Cup Championship. Uh, Chris, I know you care more about test cricket than than one-day internationals. But a huge win, sixth ever title for Team Australia. I'm sure crazy I, I, I watched yesterday. Crazy they, comeback. Yeah. I mean, this was this was a huge deal. Chris, how how uh, locked in were you on this on Sunday? Like you said, I do not care whatsoever about any cricket other than test cricket. Yeah. I, I'm sure it'd be different if I was still back at home. Right. And I'm sure people there are celebrating in whatever that way they are. But when I'm over here right now, all I care about is test cricket. Wow. Well, now, to go into it was in India. Final was in India. They beat India. What a final from Travis Head! Travis Head, who I believe is also quite a good Test cricketer, from from, my, from what I understand. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. But it was a big deal because India was hosting. India was not or ten and zero coming into the final. They had they had gone undefeated in group play, and Travis Head was like, "Yeah, sorry, that's going to be uh, the end for you." So, congrats to Australia for that. And then one more shout out, Jake, while we're on the non baseball things is did you see that UNC women's field hockey captured uh, the national championship yesterday and why this is a big deal? So, I uh, I mean, this is a ten, uh, roughly associated to baseball, so I'm just going to share it. Well, it's like, what the hell? Why are they talking about field hockey? I just think this is one of the coolest things in sports I've ever seen. So I wanted to talk about it for two minutes before we say goodbye. Uh, UNC women's field hockey. They were the national champions last year. They were undefeated, and their best player 
was named Erin Matson, And Erin Matson, who had already won three national championships in her career at UNC. She was like the, one of the best field hockey players of all time. And she finished her time after five years, of course, COVID. You get the extra year of eligibility. And she finishes her career as a player. And UNC's head coach, who had been there for a long time, decides to step down and says, you know what, Aaron Madsen, you're 22, 23 years old. You're the best player in program history. You can be the head coach now. You are more than qualified. You will now take this incredible program into the next era of field of UNC field hockey. And what does she do in her first year as the coach after winning four championships as a player? She wins another one. They did not go undefeated this year, but Aaron Matson capturing another championship. Now, why the hell would I bring this up on a baseball podcast? Uh, two reasons. One, her brother, uh, Sean Matson is a pitcher at Harvard, who's probably going to be drafted this year. He was really good in the Cape Cod league. And I love that uh, baseball connection. And two, uh, her boyfriend is Ben Kasparius, who's a Dodgers pitching prospect. So, Aaron Matson, you are a baseball character now for us, but you are more successful than any baseball person has ever Could been. Ever be. uh, Could ever be. Could ever be. This is uh, five championships in six years, uh, four as a co- uh, player, one as a coach, is just outrageously badass, and we salute you. So, there you go. Congrats to her, and congrats to the Tar Heels. That is it. We are done with this Monday edition of Baseball Barbercast. Thank you all for listening. You can email us, baseballbarbercast at gmail.com. Rate and review it wherever you listen to podcasts. And we will be back on Wednesday with our dear friend, Mike Farron. We'll see what other news happens. Until then, we will cover it on Wednesday. Until then, goodbye. Serious XM Podcasts.